Ed Transformed is brought to you by School of the Future International Academy, in short, SOFIA. SOFIA is a non-profit, non-governmental organization which supports education institutions, school leaders and educators to improve their knowledge and skills. We contribute to the creation of equal opportunities for every child in the world. This is a series of podcasts where we try to open up discussions on various topics that interest the modern educational community. Today, we are honored to have with us Lee Hendricks, International Curriculum Manager for the Middle Years at Fieldwork Education, and Dido Bala, Global Director of Training and Partnership at the Goldie Hawn Foundation, Mind Up for Life. We will speak about the teenage brain. So, hello, Lee. Hello, Dido. Hi, Natasha. Good to be here. Thank you for joining. To begin with, could you tell me a little bit about your organizations and the work you do uh, in them? Lee, would you like to start? Sure. So I work for Fieldwork Education, and that was founded in 1984 by two head teachers who had a vision, basically, to improve learning. And it was created to offer a practical, accessible, and jargon-free help to schools that was firmly rooted in best practice and research. And in fact, that idea of improving learning soon became our mission statement, what we say today. And we've since grown to be known worldwide for our leading curriculums and our professional learning and leadership development programs. So we have three programs in field work um, for students age two to 14. We have the International Early Years Curriculum, the IUIC, the International Primary Curriculum, IPC, and the International Middle Years Curriculum, IMYC, that's where I am as a manager. Mm -hmm. uh, Fieldwork Education provides international curriculum and professional learning to schools and teachers around the world. Currently, we work with more than 15,000 teachers in about oh over 1,000 schools and in about 90 plus countries globally. And in my department in the IMYC, well, we started about 10 years ago in 2011. And that was in response to the demand from IPC schools. They were asking for a curriculum to meet the needs of learners beyond the primary years as they were finishing. Mm -hmm. And then the IMYC was created um, and it was developed using neuroscientific research on the teenage brain, how it learns and, and has been designed and continues to be designed to meet those needs. Lovely. Thank you so much. So Dido, what about you? So I work for the Goldie Home Foundation, Mind Up for Life, and uh, Mind Up has been around for almost 20 years now. So our founder, uh, Goldie Home, who is a professional, was a professional dancer and, and actress uh, back then, was always somebody who cared about uh, children's well-being. And after the attacks of 9/11, she, along other people, noticed that the level of anxiety and stress and depression amongst kids, especially, was extremely high. And in order to do something about that, she produced this, right? She uses the word like this very um, acting-oriented language. She produced this concept <laughs> of, of MindUp, which was a program designed by educators, neuroscientists, psychologists from all around the world around four specific pillars being the brain, neuroscience, mindful awareness, social and emotional learning, and positive psychology. So almost uh, 90, 20 years later, we have worked with uh, children, parents, and educators from over 15 countries, impacted about 7 million children all around the world. And the key to mind up is that we're all about developing mental fitness. 
And we know that kids as young as three can learn about their brains. And if you can learn about your brain, then you have more agency, more control over how to respond to the things that are happening to you that are causing stress and anxiety. So what we do is we bring that curriculum into schools and we have uh, courses and trainings for educators, parents, and everybody. That's why it's Mind Up for Life now. I see. Great. So both of you have uh, great experience in the research, but also the practical applications of studying the teenage brain and incorporating the results of this research into curriculums, um, educational activities, and teaching training as well. So let's be a bit more specific. Let's speak a little bit uh, about the teenage brain. Lee, how do you think the teenage brain is different? What are the main needs of a teenager? So to say that the development of the brain during this period, during adolescence, is tumultuous, that that really could be an understatement because there is a lot going on. I mean, I could speak forever about this, but I'll, I'll break it down into a few key areas which IMYC has done research and, and uh, has influenced the curriculum on. Mm -hmm. um, the first part is what we're learning about with the brain is that, you know, it goes through a lot of changes during adolescence, and that includes the development of the cerebral cortex. Mm -hmm. and that The cerebral cortex is the outer layer of the brain, and that's important for reasoning and abstract thinking, something that, you know, as teenagers grow, this is, this is, this is a challenge for them. And one example of a part of the teenage brain that usually takes the longest to develop is what we call the prefrontal cortex. And that's located in the front part of the brain. This part is it controls the executive functioning. So I like to think of it, and, and uh, I think also in the Mind Up program also talks about this, that we th you could use analogies to kind of understand the parts of the brain. And, yeah. and one, one analogy could be, it could be a conductor of a wild orchestra in the head. Uh, that would be one analogy of the prefrontal cortex. So if you are a teenager, the prefrontal cortex conductor is uh, somewhat new to the job and it will probably <laughs> make lots of mistakes while working. Um, this is why teenagers generally sometimes have bad name uh, with societies around the world at this period. And that's not because they're also doing that on purpose. It's because, well, the brain is developing that way. Um, so it's in flux. And so the brain is specializing, it's maturing during this important middle school um, years and, and even mm. later. And what's interesting too, is that the brain takes a long time to develop. I mean, especially the prefrontal cortex. So according to, you know, researchers that we've gone use in our curriculum and have developed our, our, our pillars and our uh, foundations, is according to Adriana Galvin, who's the associate professor of psychology at the UCLA, she mm -hmm. says that that conductor, you know, the prefrontal cortex, may need to get to the age of 25 before mm. really maturing in its job uh, of, of making sound decisions and really weighing consequences. So when we say teens, teenagers, you know, we think of 13 to 19, but we could really, with that brain definition, we can really extend it to 24, 25. Um, so that's one part that's going on with the prefrontal cortex, you know, developing. Another part is the limbic system, which is in the deep center of the brain, and that deals with the memory and emotions. And this part of the brain that's developing, particularly, you know, during the adolescent times, it develops quicker than the prefrontal cortex, which is quite the opposite. And that also explains as that development is happening, 
but why teenagers might have those emotional outbursts, Mm. why they can get moody, why they might disregard consequences, and why they might be impulsive. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of things that are happening. And another part of our research we've looked at that has helped shape and uh, form our, our curriculum is the process of pruning. And pruning, this process is where those neuronal connections in the brain are are being lost. And we've looked at that through the research of Sarah Jane Blackmore, who's the professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of Cambridge. And and pruning is is the brain's way of becoming more efficient. Um, And it's based on, you can say it like a use it or lose it kind of philosophy or principle. So when a teenager comes into school and they are, you know, they've got some new content in front of them, if they're not engaged with it or they don't fully um, enjoy the process or are really getting it, their brain will prune it. And that's why they can get the content on Monday and on Wednesday, they probably have forgotten it mm-hmm. if they're not engaged with that. So the design of the, our curriculum, the IMYC, tries to address that pruning process too. So because we try to interlink ideas, and that's something I can talk about a bit later. But yeah. um, we have this interlinking learning, and we kind of try and connect our subjects in the middle years through what's called big ideas. And that way, teenagers can kind of make applications, and they can understand the the benefit of all their subjects and what they're learning as mm-hmm. something cohesive and not separate. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So how is actually the curriculum cater for the needs of teenagers? Well, something that our curriculum, the IMYC, does is that it doesn't ignore the adolescent brain mm. because it's, it's, it's undergoing major changes. And I think a lot of times uh, curriculums don't focus on that. They ignore it. And we want to work with teenagers. I think every educational institution out there also wants to work with teenagers instead of, um, you know, going against the development. Let's understand it so we can make better um, choices and better um, curriculum uh, development. So one of our other researchers, Dr. Jay Gee, that we've researched and looked at his work at the University of California in San Diego, he, he's focused a lot on adolescent brain maturation. And he says that the teenage brain is not really broken or defective, mm-hmm. as perhaps we may assume. It's just, it's deliberately evolving differently to support mm-hmm. the survival of the species. So mm-hmm. this different brain of the adolescents, we, we, we kind of, uh, in, in the IMYC at Philbrook Education, we look at six needs that um, are important uh, for teachers and students to know as they're learning about this kind of tumultuous time. Mm -hmm. And so these six needs form an acronym, which we call IMPART, I-M-P-A-R-T. And they're kind of broken down in a simple way as this, the I standing for interlinking learning, kind of making those connections, which is important, Uh, making meaning to make sure that teenagers ensure consolidated learning um, Mm -hmm. and that it becomes important for them as they go through their day. The importance of peers, that's the P part, as academic achievement is impacted when adolescents have their peers as support. Mm-hmm. Um, agency is the A part, or as the OECD puts it, acting rather than being acted upon, shaping mm. rather than being shaped. We also have risk-taking, which is practiced in an environment which is safe. Um, this is a, a critical part as well of the teenage brain because of that impulses that's happening in the limbic system. 
we need to know that risk taking is happening. So they're they're actually kind of um, connecting with what's going on with them internally and engaging. And that makes that makes learning engaging when there's some form of risk, of course, in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. And the last part of the impart is transition, which is coming from a primary to a secondary environment, um, going from one place to the next, because transitions are happening internally, externally for many teenagers. And so that's important to kind of understand how transition plays a role in learning as well. So knowing those, we have our curriculum with the IMYC. We have also developed brainwave units, and that has been wonderful because we've collaborated with MindUp and Mm. we highlight the importance of teaching parts of the brain, understanding strategies and understanding, um, you know, uh, the importance of mindfulness, the positive psychology, all of the pillars that Dito mentioned that Mm -hmm. we also firmly believe in and we understand because we've been researching and and practicing this through our curriculum that um, that our collaboration has been wonderful because we see eye to eye on what brain science is saying about Mm -hmm. the teenagers. So these are some ways that that we're working in the IMYC, the curriculum, but also I think we can hear more from Dito, what he also says through the mind up, through the eyes of mind up. Mm-hmm. Hearing you explaining all this, I was wondering, do you teach teenagers that, you know, your brain works like this, you do have these needs, embrace them, understand them, and we are here to support you as your teachers? Or this is just something that the teachers should know and teenagers do not really have to have concrete knowledge on what is happening to their body? Uh, No, absolutely. That's a great question. We definitely, we do encourage that teenagers are part of this process because it's happening to them. So Mm. um, not only are teachers being made aware and understanding how the brain works and how it functions, not only can that help adults by learning about that, but it also helps um, teenagers in the classroom. So students should know about this. They should be taught that. So the impart model that we have in the curriculum is instrumental for mm. teenagers to understand what is happening to them. And when they're doing activities or where they're working through, they can also identify parts of the impart model to say, what is going on right now? Am I, what is this activity um, connecting with my need of the teenage brain? So mm. there's a lot of metacognition going on there, thinking about thinking about what Perfect. I'm doing and understanding. So yes. Perfect, perfect. I think this is a very good idea. Like having worked with teenagers myself, you can tell that they're at times they're lost. They're like, yes. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why I'm not interested. I don't know. I used to be a good student, but now I'm not interested. How many times we've heard this in classrooms? So I think what you said is very important. I wanted to ask Dido a little bit more about, you mentioned in your introduction, you mentioned social emotional learning. And this is something that interests me a lot. Um, In your opinion, how can incorporating social emotional learning in teaching help teenagers perform better, both academically, but also in their personal lives? Uh, Thank you for that question. So the the first step comes from the last question you asked, Lee, which is how do we make sure that the, the teenagers aren't being tricked into mindfulness or tricked into social emotional learning? They should become partners and co-creators in the process, right? So that's the first step. It should not be by chance. They should be able to, to have awareness. And the reason why that matters is that the ultimate goal of any good program, any good teachers, is to help create the kind of teenagers who can become independent and can use those tools when there's no adults next to them holding their hands or holding them accountable. So that's the first step. So 
explicitly teaching the teenage brain to teenagers to be a requirement. Mm-hmm. Because then, once you have that, you can think about all the things that matter to those students in school and at home. So social and emotional learning, you have the pillars of SEL or uh, awareness, like self-awareness, and then mm-hmm. uh, self-regulation or self-management. And then you have social awareness. And then you have making good decisions and building strong relationships. And if you look at all those competencies through a lens of how the brain works and what teenagers care about, you will realize that self-awareness, number one, comes from, do I understand my brain? Now, mm. I get the brain in general as a teenager. And the teenage brain cares about, if you want to sum it up, three things. It cares about risk-taking. Uh, it is risk-taking. It is peer-validating. It's very important what the peers are saying. And it's novelty-seeking. So when the teenagers themselves see that, then think about academics. Hmm. Why is it that as a teenager, I know very well that my parents told me to study, to stay out of trouble, and I promised them, and I believed I was going to keep my word. However, when my friends texted me, I felt compelled to go and hang out with them. Pure validating. Mm -hmm. And then when I was hanging out with them, why did we not go and just spend time at the mall shopping? And why did we choose to get into cars that we aren't allowed to drive yet? Risk taking. And Mm -hmm. then when we were driving, instead of going to the neighborhood that we already know, why did Johnny decide that we are going to go explore this new town for now? Novelty seeking. When they can understand that, one, there's a lot of power to it, but then you bring the mindfulness. So mindfulness means being aware of the moment in the present experience and being non-judgmental. So when you connect mindfulness to that, having the awareness that as a teenager, you are more prone to those perhaps dangerous behaviors, then you don't judge it. You just notice it. Of course. You don't need to have an opinion or to tell a story to yourself or to others about it. And this is important for adults and teachers to understand because as adults, we tend to create stories that we then tell these teenagers and then they often internalize those negative stories. I have mm. worked with lots of students who, after learning about the brain, tell me, so, Mr. Bono, does that mean that I'm not bad? And mm. I ask what mean by that. And what I would figure out is that too many adults around them had told them that because of who they were, which we now know is because of what their brains are, they were bad. You're a bad kid. You're a bad boy. You're a bad girl. When the truth is, you just have a brain that's developing. That's all it is. So yes. don't judge that. And then, of course, if you move throughout the, the competencies of social, uh, of social emotional learning, after the awareness, then you go into the management. How do you learn to manage your brain, manage your emotions so that next time when you get a text message and you feel tempted to go, what can you do to recognize in your body, in yourself, in your brain, those signs that are telling you that perhaps this might not be a good idea? And then how do you manage that through perhaps mindful breathing, through perspective taking, mm. through practicing kindness towards yourself? And if you get to hang out with your friends, how do you then check in with yourself again and realize, oh, that seems a little risky. And my brain is sending signals to me right now that this is not a good idea. Yet I want to push, go back to understanding, risk-taking, novelty-seeking, but come back to mindfulness, non-judgment, and understanding. And then 
managing that. Because if you can learn how to shift kind of your nervous system from being agitated to being regulated, then you can make better decisions. Because what we know about the brain is that when the part of the brain, which we talked about the prefrontal cortex, when it is trying to do its job, be the conductor, mm-hmm. and you mix that with excitement, fear, anxiety, like extreme joy, those two don't work well together. In fact, your prefrontal cortex starts to slowly go offline and you are not able to make good decisions. So if a teenager knows that and can learn how to self-manage to quiet down the emotional part of their brain a little bit so the conductor can do, can do its job, then they can make better decisions. And all those decisions can help them, whether it be at school, before an exam, or at home when talking to your parents, or dealing with peer relationships. So that's how you can go through social and emotional learning and mindfulness and connect that to learning about the brain to have real impact in school and at home. Uh, This is so much useful uh, information. And as you were speaking, I also thought, so we don't only give them the literature behind it, the research behind them, but you are actually giving them the tools to handle the situations where they're they're divert to what they were told to do or what they really wanted to do because the brain is working the way it works, right? Absolutely, because right, if you if you want to learn how to play baseball, you don't go read a book about baseball. You go and practice baseball. So one thing about the teenage brain too is that it's going through the, the, the developmental phase where it is learning to push boundaries, to ask questions, to challenge adults. So when you tell teenagers to do something, if it doesn't make sense, they are going to challenge you. Of course. And that's, and that's normal. Many adults take that personally, but that's, again, a sign of a healthy brain. So be aware of that. Don't judge it. But then instead of offering theory, give them real applicable examples in their lives that could be where they can use those tools to improve their own experiences and do what they want to do better because they want to do well in school. They don't want to be in danger. They want to have meaningful relationships. They want to make better decisions. So if you can connect those tools to real life experiences and connect it to what they care about, then you have buy-in and then you can reach that ultimate goal of making sure that when you, the adults, are not around, they can still use those tools to regulate themselves. Great. And also this takes the guilt out of the picture as well. Like teenagers are not, they do not feel this guilt, this heavy burden of guilt that again, I did something that I was not supposed to do. Again, I didn't make the correct decision. Again, I I have uh, angered my teachers, my parents, blah, 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 which is a a big thing in my opinion. Yes. And it just brings more compassion. More, more understanding because this is not a judgment call about who you are as a person. Mm. It is just that your brain evolved at a time when those traits were actually crucial for mm. existence and evolution of your species. That, that was normal. However, times have changed, but our brains haven't changed that much. So what has replaced the lion that used to try to eat you is the meme text message that you get from a friend is the yes. comment on social media. Your brain responds exactly the same way to those threats, even though they aren't similar. So you need to have compassion and no guilt because that's just the, the way the brain works. Empower yourself with that knowledge and then learn how to manage it. That's a lot more useful than the, the guilt. 
Definitely, couldn't agree more. And if we could go to a more practical part of our discussion, uh, what are the two, three things that teachers can do in a class with teenagers to help them increase mindfulness in order to help themselves with everything else? So that's a good question. And it always starts with the understanding of what mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. And you want to start there because people who don't understand what mindfulness is that have an idea might have gotten an idea from the wrong source. And I equate mindfulness to a monk levitating in the air and having zero thought in their mind. And they say, that's not me. I can't do that. So I'm not <laughs> interested. So it's important to clear that out and explain that mindfulness is any practice that involves being present at the moment, aware of the moment, and practicing non-judgment of self and of others. It is not about having an empty mind. It's not. So you clear that out. Then you want to teach them how to practice mindfulness in ways they're already doing it. Because every teenager that I know has a way of before the big game that they want to play, before going on a date, uh, before making a the decision, they have ways, or when somebody gets that makes them upset, they already have ways in which they know how to self-soothe. They just don't know that it's mindfulness. So okay. you want to help them create a, pro, a personal mindfulness profile where you ask them questions such as, when you are upset or, or stressed or anxious, typically how does your body react and how do you know? They will list those things, for example, I start getting angry, my heart rate goes a little faster, my, head, my palms get sweaty, I start to stutter, all those things, write those down. And then typically, what do you do to self-soothe? And they will tell you. Some will say, I listen to music, or I need to step away to be alone. Use all of that and show them that what you're doing with that music is mindfulness. Because for those three, four, five minutes, you are alone. You are aware of the fact that you just want music to play. You don't want to think about too much. Like mm -hmm. that's practicing mindfulness. If you want to take a walk, there's mindful walking. There's mindful seeing. You want to go to the beach and just look at the water or look at the trees because mindful seeing is a way to practice mindfulness and it's a calm in the emotional brain. If you are somebody who cares more about movement or you want to draw, drawing is mindfulness. So, and I'm giving these very simple little bit examples because we need to demystify mindfulness. All those mm. things that they are, they are already doing or mindfulness. So it is extremely important for us to make the connection for them. And if teachers can do that with students, then those students will know that they already had the tools. They just exactly. didn't know. And then they can just practice them more, using them more. Perfect. This is amazing, actually. You know, the tools are out there. We just need to point to our students to the correct direction that they already know. Lovely. I can't thank you enough for this podcast. I think we got amazing, mind-blowing information, very useful tips for all teachers. We will share your organization's um, social media and uh, websites for people to be able to find more information about all these lovely things that you do. Lee Diddle, thank you so much for participating in Ed Transformed. Thank you, Natasha. This was great. Thank you, Natasha. Thanks for having us.